everybody. I'm Bettina Cipher. And I'm TC Milk. We are Erotica Writers, and you are listening to our second podcast. Um, today, we, we thought that we could uh, have a conversation around, uh, a, a lot of times erotica writers sort of avoid um, politics and current events and stuff like that, but we thought that it would be really useful um, to have a conversation given all of the very recent ev events around sexual harassment and sexual misconduct and this sort of sense that um, at once the scales are falling from everybody's eyes about the sort of reality that, that mm -hmm. women live in, this atmosphere that we live in, but also that the, that the gap between the sexes has never been wider. And I, in my life, have had many conversations with um, men that uh, range from just confused to surprised to outright defensive. Uh, one of my male friends said to me recently, there's nothing men can say right now. There's just no there's nothing we can say. And I said, actually, I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of things that you can say. <laughs> but um, as erotica writers, and I'm sure TC agrees with me, mm -hmm. this is kind of the space that we play in. This space of how do people connect? How do they have a a sexual connection? How do they express desire? Uh, you know, uh, sort of what are the nuances of connection? Because I think at base, everybody is, that is still the place that we want to come back to is this place of connection. And so um, we were talking about this in specific because, you know, we have a couple of sexual languages in our culture. And we thought that it would be uh, helpful to break those languages down a little bit and kind of describe them by virtue of their components. And so we wanted to talk about, obviously, erotica uh, and, and literary erotica in particular, and that as a distinct sexual language from uh, romance. And um, in another camp altogether is um, a, another sexual language would be porn. And so uh, when we're talking about these sexual means of communication, we thought it would be interesting to break that down. So, um, TC, why don't you give your little synopsis of, of your description, first of all, of romance. Let's start okay. with romance as like so, one, yeah. one end. Um, going back to wh where we're approaching this from, yeah. and sort of the difficulty of communicating about sex in our culture, because obviously, especially with a lot of these allegations, there are people who are just flat out bad actors. But yes. there's also this knockoff effect and maybe cause or result. There are a lot of people who do have good intentions and don't understand necessarily how to talk about sex. We're not given good models in our culture for discussing sex and consent, affirmative desire, um, or even how we can express our boundaries and recognize each other's. Yes, um, so, so, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, basically this podcast, we sort of, are hoping to add to that conversation for people who do want to think about how we can promote healthier ways to talk about, imagine, and enact these things. Right. Um, so first off, romance, we wanted to talk about. It's a, definitely one of the bigger erotic genres. It's the best-selling genre in the U.S., um, possibly in the world. 
Wow. And a lot, yep, um, yeah. all genres of romance and erotic romance being one of those. So yeah, a genre with undeniable appeal and power. And the definition we are kind of familiar with when we write it and read it and um, sometimes consider why we are or are not considering a given story romance, it has a plot line that's entirely about getting two people together mm-hmm. with sort of the goal of a happily ever after, or at least a happily uh, for now, right. which is defined as those two people being together either for a brief time or permanently. Right. Um, and and, and let's just point out too, that the romance is written almost entirely for women. Yes. And largely by women. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that not to say that there aren't, uh, male writers out there that 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 write it, but generally speaking, the audience for it is women, and it's because it has that um, intimacy piece and that tie it up with a bow piece of um, you know that's why the the billionaire romance is such a huge thing because it's basically the Cinderella story, but mm-hmm. in modern uh, you know a modern adult iteration of it, and it's. Um, the bad boy who who eventually can you know have his heart tamed. Um, so it's a it's a definitely a a, um, a sexual language that speaks to women, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think it's a sexual language that speaks to what women are told we should want that yes. permanent commitment. Exactly. Um, exactly. Even with all its different tropes and iterations. Uh, definitely a genre worth looking into if you've listeners if you've dismissed romance as too girly just realize it's a powerhouse for a reason yeah that's it there are some things that i think we personally uh, bettina and i sometimes find less satisfying about it way and, less satisfying <laughs> and one of those things for me is the definition of the happily ever after that it has to be about two people usually it's just two people being together in a committed and monogamous relationship, often a legal marriage for the rest of their lives. This is the happy ending, the culmination of it all. Um, And for me, that certainly can be an interesting story, but it's not the only story I want to read about or the only story I want to tell. Sometimes I like to read about sex outside of committed relationships. Yeah. Shocking, I know. I know. You freak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and all, all the men out there in me in, in the meantime are going, yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> um, I just don't, I just don't find it to be true. I just yeah. don't find anything about it to be true in my, in my life. So very little of it resonates with me, this idea. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. There's like the fairy tale and fantasy appeal, but sometimes you have to question like, if it's too much of a fantasy, it doesn't connect like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So then let's let's talk about do, have have we said everything we need to say about romance? Yeah, the other okay. thing that struck me is a sort of the inverse of that is that a romance is always about the start of a relationship for the most part. Right. And sometimes I do like to read about people who are in relationships that might or might not be permanent but are ongoing. I yes. don't always need to read about how they meet and fall in love. It's interesting to see what happens when people are already in love and the kind of challenges they face later on in life. Right. Exactly. Again, speaking to that more realism part of what does it really look like when people are in love, not just when they're falling in love, because that's, 
that's another thing. That's another thing in our culture that I think is is damaging is this idea um, that new relationship energy is supposed to carry on indefinitely, yes. right? Yeah. And that's what you're looking at with the romance is that new fresh buzz of connectivity. That is a, a a charge that comes along for a specific reason, and it's there to initially bond people. But mm-hmm. what bonds people after that? Um, because that doesn't last forever. Um, so yeah, so these are the yeah. things that we kind of think about in terms of the limitations of rom- the romance genre. Um, so on the other end, yep. TC, let's talk a little bit about porn because that's obviously the more male-informed sex language in our culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the goal there? (laughs) The goal is pretty much to get off. Right. Which is a worthy goal, to be sure. But Yeah. I I heard now, I I heard this, and I don't know if it's true, but a friend of Uh mine told me this. He, He told me that if we were to stop making porn now, that, you know, you as an adult, could never watch all of it in your lifetime. In other words, there's like more porn out there already in the the universe than any human can watch in their lifetime. Like I believe it. Yeah. Several times over and yet we continue to to make more of it, you know? Um, uh-huh. and, and yet the irony is I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are still kind of looking for something that truly syncs with and connects with them. It's right. like all oh, this porn but my kink is not being served. Right. I, yes. I kind of know. I mean, as femdom writers, I think we know that feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. You know, and it's not that I'm anti-porn either. I mean, uh-huh. you know, every now and then I'll come across something that is genuinely hot to me. Oh, yeah. And it's and um, it's because, uh, I, I think, it's because I'm watching, um, well, of course, I'm watching my kink acted out on the screen and we're visual creatures. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's no denying that. But um, often what I'm seeing is some sort of um, dynamic exchange between the, the actors. So, so by contrast to romance, um, romance is like all about the setup, kind of like we talked about. It's all yeah. about the precursor and then the end, you know, that sort of like magnificent moment of realization of mm-hmm. true love or whatever. Porn is devoid of all of that, you know, in fact, (laughs) like it's almost annoying when porn has that conceit at the beginning where they need to walk you through some sort of scenario, uh, like ding dong, you have a package, (laughs) you know, that that all feels really, for the most part, really foolish. It's not going to convince us anyway, so kind of just skip ahead to the, Yeah. yeah. Like, um, and... You know, uh, we could go over the obvious drawbacks of of porn as a as a sexual medium, as a medium of of sexual connection and and mm-hmm. expression of desire. the The obvious ones are uh, that it's it's not a very uh, successful expression of desire, honestly, or it is of a very sort of a flat, uniform, yeah, male picture of desire. That is, like you said, it's really about just getting off, and there's uh, there's no connection to be made there. And the you know the other part of the problem, especially with our young men, 
um, is that they're burning out their pleasure receptors with porn. Like I, I've, I've done a lot of research on it and, um, you know, boys are accessing porn at the age of nine. By the time they're 12, they're watching very extreme versions. Porn works very much in the same way as stimulants do, where you need to ramp up the sort of level of extremity uh, in order to get the same results. And so these, these boys are breaking their penises. Like it's really, they're literally breaking their junk, like with porn. And so, and the worst part about it is that porn has been shown to, um, it has been shown to sort of separate these boys out from their capacity to have intimacy in real life. In other mm. words, if they can just get that same, um, you know, uh, shot in the arm by going to the screen, then they never have to have the vulnerable conversation with the girl next door. They never have oh, yeah. to, the, um, the Don John scenario, you know, where he's like, well, I could have real sex and I'd have, it would be in one position and I'd have to wear a condom or I could have as much sex as I want with, you know, in as many positions as I want, like as come as many times as I want, um, just by doing it with the, with the screen. And so the, the problem obviously there is we're impeding connection. Porn impedes connection on a sexual level, I think. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think anybody can accuse us of being prudes. I mean, most of what we, (laughs) (laughs) most of what we do is write about, um, we write about really extreme sex. Um, But, you know, the piece uh, and this leads into erotica kind of maybe being a middle ground between those two, those two sex languages is that we need both the setup, both the establishing, you know, the establishing factors like the building of the dynamic. But we also get that getting off like a motherfucker piece at the end, right? It to me like most important about literary erotica is sort of the variety of perspectives that you don't have to be in a single committed monogamous relationship but on the other hand you can still have people being people and not kind of just fuck bots because yes. um, yeah both the failure modes for me it's just that they're uninteresting to me mm-hmm. they don't get me off because I'm not engaged enough right so um yeah even when you're in it for the perfectly uh, normal and worthy goal of your own pleasure. I think there's things literary erotica can do that the other modes don't offer. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit. What sure what thing. are those things? Okay, so literary erotica is especially the ability to get into people's heads and sort of to get into real people's heads, I think. Yes. Um, where you don't have... The goals of literary erotica, aside from there probably is going to be explicit sex on screen, though I should note it doesn't always have to be the case, Um, especially if it's fetish erotica. Mm -hmm. Aside from that basic goal and framework, it doesn't have a dictated ending. Um, So it doesn't have to end up happily ever after, though it could. And I'm trying to think how it contrasts with porn here. Um, Well, for certain, you're seeing um, all of the inner, you're, you're seeing more inner life to these mm-hmm. characters you're you know erotica is far literary erotica is far more character driven and what is satisfying as a reader is whether you're watching these these two people 
or three people come together once or come together for the millionth time or, you know, come together in an ongoing sort of way um, is that you are watching the cogs of their sort of separate gears come together. And, and that, that is really the secret piece that all of us want. I think, and I, I'm even speaking to men here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that we underestimate men's ability to actually um, achieve intimacy and um, be curious about these things because mm -hmm. just like in the same way that women have been conditioned towards romance, I think men have been conditioned towards porn. And I think that both of those, if we're calling them sort of extremes on a spectrum, uh -huh. Both of those are, are, are missing the middle. And the middle is really not so much about the kink. It's not so much about the act. Although the act is, you know, absolutely a distillation of connection. The real missing piece, and I think the piece that erotica often addresses, is that connection between people. It's the expression of two distinct dynamic characters melding for a moment or forever or anything in between. We've also talked a little bit about literary or erotica's capacity to sort of ask questions and start, yeah. start a sort of a, a, an inquiry. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I guess um, part of what we've discussed already is the difficulty with coming up with languages, the difficulty of being able to talk about sex, it's not just to find the words for what you need or want. Um, so I think both porn and romance can help people articulate what they want, but because they're in limited modes, if you want something outside the mold, you might not even realize something is missing. You just feel a little dissatisfied and you don't know why. Right. Um, well, literary erotica, because it has that flexibility, it can offer you more middle ground um, it can be maybe you want casual, emotionally involved, but not everlasting connection. Yeah. And that's something you can find in literary erotica more than you could find in porn or romance. Another thing is I think literary erotica sometimes is able to offer more nuance. Yes. Um, in my experience, especially when it comes to kink, but with other things as well. When it's so well written, it's, yes. it, it's got this sense of discovery and the character or characters go, starting from one place and, and arriving at another place. We're not going so far as to say that it's instructive, but it is a way to safely explore some of these mm -hmm. taboo subjects um, safely. Uh, and, yeah. and to sort of like open up a conversation about these things. Um, I know you know, both of us as kink practitioners can absolutely speak to the value of having these open conversations. And it's something that the kink community can really teach the vanilla world is how to have those conversations in which you say, I'm into this. Are you into this? And keeping the stakes low because you know that in order for all of those cogs to mesh, you have to have a conversation about it. Yeah, And so one of the hot things, one of the things that erotica does and does really well is show those characters having that conversation 
um, in a way that is really stimulating. It's really hot. Mm, yes. Right? Um, there's also the way that erotica can stimulate those conversations and actually just play an instrumental role in them. As you were talking, I remembered when I was talking with a, one of my boys about one of his kinks that mm -hmm. I hadn't quite heard of before and didn't quite understand. But then I was looking in my ebook library and I found a short story and I sent it to him and I'm like, so is this what you're talking about? And he read it and he's like, yes, this is exactly what I'm into. <laughs> and it was a really great moment to actually yeah. have, um, because I can't be in his head. Um, we have right. compatible, but very different desires. I think that's it might come up, especially with kink when you're a top or a bottom and not mm -hmm. the switch. It can be hard to find that other mindset. And erotica can help us bridge that inferential gap by giving us a inside look at someone else's head. Yes. Um, so that well was, put. yeah. Yeah, definitely. That is definitely a piece of it. I think it makes a pretty strong case that, um, you know, for those, again, and we're, we're speaking to a kind of a specific subset of the population, um, we know that we're not going to convince all men on the planet to stop watching porn and start reading erotica. <laughs> but um, if you are a woman and you are having these conversations with your male friends and um, they are uh, in fact readers and they are seeking some answers and wanting to know more about having these conversations, um, then you can point out that um, erotica is a really, really good place to start. Oh, do you want to give some specific examples of something that you've maybe read lately? You were talking about the, was it Kemp, the author? That you oh, yeah. Um, and one thing I know we brought up before is how literary erotica is a tradition with a really long history, uh, starting with like Sappho's erotic poetry. Right. And if you have not read yeah. Sappho, you really you should, should find a translation because she has aged so well. Yeah, it's um, true. And when you consider we only have little pieces of mm -hmm. her, her text and that it's so, oh, so juicy, it's such good stuff. Exactly. It go, that tradition goes back thousands of years. Mm -hmm. um, Jonathan Kemp came up last time when we were talking about yeah. the anonymity as a kink. Right. And how someone had sent you a story on that life. That's right. Okay, let me give a little background on that. I had somebody send me a short story um, and ask for feedback on, on that life. And... Um, the story was um, a, a gay encounter and it was like a Tinder encounter. So, um, you know, guy goes on Tinder, never been on it before mm -hmm. and, um, you know, sees this really cute guy. They start chatting and they agree to meet in a park. So they, bar they barely know, know each other. The, the kink is obviously stranger danger, right? Yep. Um, but it occurred to me that as I, you know, read it, I, you know, and he walked me through this very, you know, juicy and elaborate sex scene, but it did nothing for me um, mm -hmm. as far as stimulating uh, that part. Um, and mm -hmm. not that I don't get off on, on gay stuff, because I totally do. Um, so it occurred to me, like, well, this is, a, this is a real challenge, actually, that he's facing, because the whole kink is stranger danger. It's about 
having like just ferocious animal sex with somebody that you don't know and how do how do you make that hot in terms of creating a dynamic and that that was sort of what sparked that conversation about um about Jonathan Kemp so yes uh, so, well it was a great uh, issue you brought up because it's one I kind of deal with in some of my own writing mm -hmm. um anonymity to me is sometimes a kink yes. um, I love writing people in masks uh, very commonly in both my flash fiction and my longer short fiction I don't give characters names Right. Mm -hmm. And then, but then it also reminded me of a book I have just completed reading by Jonathan Kemp called 26. And the premise of 26 is it's 26 chapters that are each individual flash fictions that are in many cases about gay men um, hooking up. And a lot of these hookups are anonymous. They meet in the woods or out of the park. Yeah. Um, or he, he knows people's names, but he never tells them to the reader. Everyone's just known as like A, B, C, X, Y, Z. Right. <laughs> and it's a fascinating mixture of that anonymity and as if you're wearing a mask while also giving deep insight and intimacy and vulnerability. And um, in Kemp's case, even some philosophy, the book is almost as much queer theory as it is erotica. It certainly is very erotic in places. And I think many people will enjoy it for that reason, but it's also very moving on an intellectual level. Right. And he still managed to do that even mm -hmm. though, um, you know, a lot of these characters are just meeting for the first time. And so, that wow, that's really interesting. I really got to read that one. And so the title of that one is 26, and it's 26, 26 yes. and they're um, sort of like flash fiction stories? They're short? Yeah, it's a short book, about 120 pages, but okay. it covers a lot of ground. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's a great... Basically, if you're willing to do nuance and sort of trust the reader and expose your characters or your own thoughts in your writing. I think even a complete anonymous or complete, um, what seems like a completely physical relationship on the surface can actually go a lot deeper. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? I, I'm actually also reading a, a male erotica writer right now. Um, mm -hmm. His name is James Salter. And he... Oh, yeah wrote back in the 50s and um, the book that I'm reading is called A Sport and a Pastime and it's a gorgeous gorgeous book um, and it's just sumptuous with details the main character is a photographer and so the way that he writes is absolutely this ingloriously lush detail that is still very distinctly masculine and um, <laughs> So uh, I guess it, it, it's good that we're sort of bringing up these two examples of, of male writers that can write in these different ways and, and still achieve what, we're, what we consider to be the overall erotica effect, right? Yeah. So it's still containing that like aroused and satisfied piece, but it's also achieving something else that is maybe more intellectual, more spiritual, or, or, or just more 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 thought-provoking. Yeah. One thing we did briefly discuss in our setup for this podcast episode was uh, how literary erotica offers that, that arousal and that engagement and a sort of pleasure that just straight-up literature doesn't. Because straight-up literature can also deal um, with beautiful writing and intense thought about round sexual topics. Mm -hmm. But 
frankly, it's not as much fun as literary erotica. <laughs> right. So there's room for both. Erotica's got a long history. We made some rec. So we've talked a bit about the history of literary erotica as a genre yeah. as compared to porn or romance. Yeah. Uh, we've made some recommendations of our own favorites. And hopefully we've helped start a conversation about how erotica can start a conversation. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So men out there, push pause on your screen and pick up some James Salter or some Jonathan Kemp, whatever your whatever your kink ha- happens to be. And yeah. And some Sappho. And some Sappho. <laughs> Everyone pick up Sappho. Men, women, non-binary people, yeah. it's that good. We can, um, we can solve the problem with Sappho. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you are listening to Bettina Cipher And MTC Milt. Um, you can find us on the web at BettinaCypherErotica.com. And uh, TC-Mill.com. And TC, what book have you got coming out? You have a book coming out? Yes, this December, uh, I'm one of the 69 flash fictions in the Big Book of Submission, Volume 2. So uh, talk about kink and exploring your desires. It's a really great collection. Yes, I read it last year and it was hot. It was yes. really hot. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, and I- you? I am included in an anthology of cuck stories called She's Yours Tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually not sure when that is coming out. I think early 2018. Okay. Um, I've also got um, a collection of short stories based on public domain. They are like erotic short stories based on mm-hmm. stories in the public domain. It's called In the Pubic Domain. Um, and I co-wrote that with my uh, co-writer, Vinny Block, and that should be out in the next couple of months. So, awesome. Yeah. So stay tuned and um, definitely give us some feedback if there's something you would like us to talk about, um, either as far as the craft of erotica or something more along this vein. Uh, definitely let us know. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you all. 